I'm going to also take a second to tell you all about one of our show sponsors. That's Norse Fire Equipment out of North Dakota. Whenever I first started talking about having sponsors for the show, I really wanted it to be genuine businesses that are firefighter owned and operated and people that have good business ethics and have a good mission. Matt Vercota reached out to me from Norse Fire Equipment. He and I have spoken and, and talked back and forth a little bit, got to know each other. And he seems to fit that criteria. He's a full-time firefighter and founded this company in 2020 to provide a good place for firefighters to be able to get equipment that they needed to be able to do their job and have it at a good price and just good quality equipment instead of some of these places that want to sell you real cheap crap. For Y'all go over to NorseFireEquipment.com, coupon code COWBOY5. That'll get you 5% off on your online orders. All right, guys, on with the show. Dispatch to all units. This is a third alarm. Switch to the TAC channel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TAC channel. I'm your host, Heath Meredith. This is the Third Alarm Cowboys podcast. This is the podcast for, for firefighters where we talk about real life situations, everything from leadership, promotions, everything that involves your, your station life to personal life things like finances and relationships. You name it, we talk about it. Some things that are even a little controversial, but that's real life and that's what we're going to talk about on this show. Guys, welcome back. I've had to take a little bit of a break. But I'm back in the hot seat, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Texas right now is a hot bastard. We're sitting out here, and it's about 100 degrees in the shade. And it's taken me a little bit of time. I had to take a little time off uh, from the show and just kind of separate myself from, from social media as a whole. I've still been responding to your messages and everything from all of you that have reached out over the last couple weeks. But to be perfectly honest and transparent, I have started a new gig where I'm going through and, and having to do a little bit of phase testing, a little bit of rookie shit, and working some hours and getting all that going there, plus working at my EMS job. It's you know summertime where I've told y'all before I work for an EMS company that we cover all the 911 coverage area for the county is between two very large lakes in the state of texas so summertime gets insanely busy there the population pretty much triples and so does our call volume but due to finances and everything like that we don't have the ability to upstaff during the summertime so we basically just have to take it on the chin and you run your calls and handle your business and then when shit slows up it slows up and you get to take a little bit of a break but right now that's not the case town is it's pretty nuts, and everywhere you look, there's boats and trailers, and the hotels are full, and people are making money, and I love every bit of it. So that's kind of what I've had going on the last couple of weeks. I know some of you might have missed me, and some of you hadn't, and if you didn't, well, fuck you. So that's where I'm at. Another little aspect of it is really being truthful, guys. The messages I get from y'all, it really does mean the world to me, but I take all that shit to heart. It really, uh, it does take a toll on me, as uh, as you'll hear in, in a little while. Um, I do have a special guest on today that has been a long time coming and has had a little bit of turmoil behind it, and it's something that basically we've had to uh, just make the decision to finally do it. But the reality is, when you walk a line 
in your life where you're willing to step up to the conflict. Like I preach to y'all all the time, and I, I'm trying to tell you firefighters that want to be in this business, you want to walk a line of being brave and courageous, that shit takes a toll. It's not a gravy train like everybody thinks it is. You don't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to do things right and good, and I'm going to stand up for people and, I, and, and expect for that to never have any kind of blowback. And when I get the messages from y'all of all the different stories, it just shows me basically how outnumbered the good people are in the fire service. That's just bottom line. It shows that we, as a community, as a fire culture, as a fire service, whatever fucking label you want to put on it, we have allowed a lot of fucking shitbags to infiltrate our ranks at all ranks, from rookie firefighters all the way up to the big chief spot. We have allowed people to come in that do not have right intentions. They do not give a shit about their brothers and sisters that ride the truck with them. They do not give a shit about the community. And this show has proven to me time and time again from your messages, from your comments, from all the stories that you you have all been honest with me and shared that we have a serious problem on our hands. And, of course, that lights a fire under my ass, but also at the same time, I need y'all to understand that I am still a human. I'm a hard ass, but I am a human. And sometimes it builds me to a frustration level that I have to take a little bit of a break. I have to. It's not from y'all. It's just I need to kind of unplug, focus on my family, spend some time with the kids, and just, you know, kind of anchor myself and solidify my foundation. My wife is awesome. She's massively supportive of everything that I'm doing. And what y'all have to realize is sometimes that gives me a lot of fucking enemies, okay? When I'm standing up and I'm willing to go public for for all you guys out there and I'm willing to stand against city managers, I'm willing to stand against mayors, I'm willing to stand against fucking fire chiefs, that doesn't always help me and that doesn't always make things easy, especially when you're like me right now and you're out you know, trying to make a move, a career move in the fire service. That in itself, as many of you can imagine, it carries a weight. People can sometimes view you in ways that are preconceived notions or, you know, fire chiefs have their own click. We talk about clicks. Firefighters have clicks. We got guys we like to hang out with and dudes we don't like to be around. Well, a lot of, there's a lot of fire chiefs out there that have clicks. And when you're somebody like me that sits over here and openly says, hey, that bitch is stealing. Hey, that bitch has a horrible turnover rate because he pe- treats his people like shit. Well, that word gets out. It does. And the reality to it is, is that has a weight. So sometimes I have to take a little bit of a break. I got to reset, you know, just kind of just take a deep breath. And there's nothing wrong with that. I hope you all understand that. But just know that when you choose to live a life where you are willing to step into the fold and you're willing to stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves or don't have the ability to stand up for themselves, sometimes that ends in war. And war is not pretty in any aspect, especially when you're dealing with politicians and money and people's livelihoods and everything in between. So I'm very thankful for my family and the fact that they all support me in doing this. I'm very thankful for my tech team that pretty much they know whenever I, I have to take a little bit of a break on things, they step up and take over shit. The team right now has been working very hard with, with RJ Nip, our uh, condemned saint, third alarm fighter they're working on all that shit behind the scenes right now and giving me the little bit of break that i need from 
from all the controversy, they're uh, they're handling all that shit. They're taking the reins and they're and they're kicking ass, which is awesome. That's what you need around you. That's what the fire service is supposed to be about. You know, if you're having a rough day and you got shit going on at home, or if you're you're you know you got bad calls or any, anything that's fucking with you, you're supposed to be able to have a crew that's surrounded around you that steps up and takes care of you. Whether you know you're not 100% physical, well, they put in the work to cover for you. If you're not 100% mental, they put in the work to cover for you. They let you have a trusting place where you can open up and speak. And that's what we as the Third Alarm Cowboys have built. And that's what I want everybody to start understanding we need to do inside our damn fire stations. One thing going into this 4th of July holiday, I'm not going to give you all the typical you know, 4th of July... Everybody knows what the 4th of July is if you're an American. If you don't, holy shit, you got to catch up. But one thing about being an American that has always made me extremely proud and been deep within my soul is as Americans, we are inherently rebels. It is our job as a true American to question authority, to make sure that our governor's governing body whatever you want to label it, is doing what's in the best interest of we the people. That is in how our entire constitutional government was built. And with that, that's every aspect. That's men, women, black, white, brown, whatever label you want to call it. That is for every single one of us. That is the responsibility of being Americans. And sometime over the last couple decades, we've lost that because so many people are honestly, they're leveraged, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But so many people do not have the ability to stand up for what's right or to question authority or question these government bodies, whether it's your fire chief, whether it's your ESD board, whether it's your city council. We can break it down into any place that you want to but anywhere that you feel that finances are questionable or decisions are questionable on whether they're in the best interest of the community or the guys on the fire truck it's your job truly as an american to question that shit but the reality is is we have built a society of people where we're no longer technically allowed to do that if you are one of these guys that steps up in questions whether you're a taxpayer in that district or not which if you're a taxpayer and you're not asking questions honestly you're a failure you're not doing your job as an american but that goes hand in hand within the fire service we have people that just that they refuse to even ask simple questions they refuse to acknowledge skills and abilities of experience of people and what y'all have to understand is that is the most anti-american shit that i can i can even come up with right now 2023 july 4th 2023 i personally believe that we are living in the most anti-american united states that has ever existed since the beginning of time now you could break that down and whatever subcultures and all that stuff but if you you need to go listen to the last episode of united we stand to understand how i feel about all the different subcultures i'm about being an american and we are all americans and even furthermore we are all firefighters today we're going to get in with a special guest and talk about how what I feel is truly one of the biggest issues in today's fire service that I've dealt with 
many of you have dealt with and the guest today has dealt with on a personal level. And sometimes this can actually even end up being career ending for a good, highly, quali- highly qualified firefighter. And that's just what we're going to get into today. So, everyone, welcome to the show. This is my brother, Blake. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, a lot of you don't know he's uh, <laughs> he's been the man behind the behind the curtain on a lot of stuff. Uh, Blake is honestly one of these guys that's super technology driven and knows how to do all the the crazy computer <laughs> shit that um, we we laugh and joke all the time. So I'm named the nerd of the family. He is definitely the nerd of the family. Uh, but with that being said, one thing that's been a huge plus about that is you know the way that we grew up. Of course, our parents were great. Both had very similar childhoods and, and everything like that. We had we had great coming up, but just our our skills and talents and everything that evolved throughout the years are completely different. I went and learned how to work on drilling rigs and become a welder whenever I was younger, and he got into the computers and all this, that, and the other, and we ended up merging in the fire service. He was working offshore, and I'll let him get in and kind of talk about all that stuff. But you know, I, I went through a transition where the fire service. Post-recession of 2008, fire service, there was no jobs. I know you've all heard me talk about that stuff. So I had to do some time working in the oil field. Well, he was working in the oil field offshore, and I was working in the oil field on land rigs and doing welding and all that kind of stuff. And then years later, we end up, uh, of course, I got into the fire service before he did. And what was it, in, in 2012, 2013, when the oil field started crashing offshore? 2015. 2015, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, was whenever it started to come down, and that was whenever... I, I saw the writing on the wall. Luckily, about eight months before it really started to affect uh, to affect the the offshore industry itself, and uh, luckily I got to talking to you, and you were like, "Hey, man, just come be a fireman." So you know, I, I looked into it, got to work about six months uh, before the the crash really hit, I and mean, right about the time that they were starting to do layoffs with my company and send people to the house, I was testing for my national registry. To get uh to get my EMT after I'd already completed my fire, so it was almost perfect timing. Right about the time I got, you know, I came to the house. I mentioned at the time I had two brand new little girls at home that were both super young, so I got to come on to the house and see them and watch them grow, and it just wound up wind up being a really good career move. Yeah, I should say we'll get more into his career on kind of how it it transitioned, but it's it's pretty funny. So. For those that don't know, we come from a firefighter background. We're both, I asked on a poll a couple weeks ago, I just wanted to kind of get a feel for where we were in the fire service of what generationally people are in today's fire service, which he and I, we're, we're both third generation. Um, actually, our local hometown department here, our grandfather, the, the truck that they have in the museum, our grandfather drove it. So it's pretty funny that... We both he, was, went, he was one of the first drivers. <laughs> yeah, one of the first paid drivers that uh, that our local city had back in the 50s. And there is actually three of the stations that are still in use today. He was housed out of before he left and, and moved on to bigger and better things. But uh, during that time period, firefighting wasn't necessarily something that, that paid the bills. So he moved on and went into becoming a welder and all that stuff. And that's kind of where I ended up going the welding and oil field route was was oh, learning from him and all that and he did offshore too <laughs> yeah he went and worked <laughs> he offshore. pushed me to do that as well so that that was kind of our our family niche kind of divided amongst us and we all kind of did our own thing but as you stated earlier all circle back and here we are yeah which is pretty cool he and i both 
of course, naturally, we, we had a little different career routes uh, as far as departments and stuff, but we ended up for the last year that he and I have been working, we ended up finally getting to ride a truck together. Um, I was the captain on shift and he ended up getting to be my firefighter, which is was pretty cool. It was something that we've strived for years. We both tested at the same places and, and attempted to work at some of the same departments. And usually the, the question of nepotism ended up coming up. Um, I was working at a department where I was a captain. He ended up hiring in the uh, the department. Essentially, they promised that we could at least work on the same shift because there was multiple stations. And they were going to allow us you know, to be able because for us, it's, it was about a two-and-a-half, three-hour commute to work. And they were going to allow us to, to work on the same shift so we could ride together. Well, that it ended up going to a vote with the Chiefs. And one of the Chiefs ended up pulling a card saying that he didn't believe that that was going to end up panning out because he was afraid of nepotism and all that kind of shit, which honestly was it was all complete bullshit because with the staffing shortage of that department, I think you ended up working more time on overtime on my shift than you did your own shift. I was going to say that, and he had never met us. Uh, there's no nepotism here. We uh... <laughs> No. Now, firefighters, your thing always has been because you've been in it longer. So I definitely listen to you more <laughs> yeah. when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, there was there was no no worry about that whatsoever. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I worked probably just as much on your shift as I did my own working overtime. <laughs> yeah, which at that time, I mean, our shift was the hot shift anyway. So it was fun being on there. We had some good ass dudes on that shift. Yes, we did. We had a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's been pretty interesting. So we got to enjoy and we laugh about it now, as all of you know, I'm no longer working in, in the plants in that capacity, which, um, Blake ended up taking a, a full-time position and using his experience that he had in the oil field working safety that ended up positioning him in a, at a point to take a, an open safety position at that plant. So he's still doing a little bit of industrial firefighting, uh, industrial rescue, and now doing a lot of HSE, which is health yeah. safety and environmental stuff i was gonna say and i absolutely love that gig it's it's really it's been good to me i i hope they they like me as much as i like them so yeah for sure <laughs> but it was it was pretty cool it was it's honestly it was a dream come true so one one really cool thing about my fire service career that i have been able to experience i know a lot of guys have not i know that you didn't get to to the full capacity that you wanted to but honestly every dream that i really had of being in the fire service, the things that I wanted to do, I completed. And most of them I completed multiple times. Checked off the bucket list, you could say. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I from a young age, I always said I wanted to be in the captain of the fire department. That's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a captain and ride a ladder truck in a fire department. Well, I did it three fucking times. <laughs> I made, I made captain three times, three different departments. You know, it, it kind of sucks in the sense that you're able to do those things and complete all those dreams before your pension's locked in, which is is a reality for me. That's something. But as many of the listeners know, one thing I take a lot of, I guess, education from and advice from, if you will, is, is a lot of military background stuff. I know the whole time you were having to ride with me to work, the whole time all I do is listen to to military guy podcast oh, and man you if it's out there you name it we probably heard it but yeah it was it was educational and i mean it kept us entertained and we learned something new just about every drive and that's that's the goal is to to learn something new every day and expand your education and and use it in, in your own life to build on it 
Pretty much. Well, yeah, one thing I, I've always taken from those guys, especially like, you know, you take guys that, that served in the really special operations branches, like say Navy SEALs, Delta, I mean, all those high top tier. That's that's those guys' dreams is to make it there, and very, very few of them do a full 20 there. I mean, there is, naturally, there's guys that lock in and do their full 20 and get their pension, their retirement, all that stuff. But honestly, a lot of the guys that you hear that are that are public figures and out there kicking ass, most of them are, are like 12 to 15-year guys. Yeah, They did the things that they needed to do. Their cup was full. And they got to a point where they were risking their lives, but not they were feeling stagnant. Right. They were not progressing in their careers because they made it. And I'm not saying that that's where I'm at or anything, but when you complete all the deals, like so, like one of my my major dreams or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, loves of the fire service is all the water rescue stuff. That's what I've always loved. Well, I've made every fucking hurricane that hit the Texas coast since Hurricane Ike, and yeah, you have because I've had to handle <laughs> crap at the house while you were flooded in. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about you know days on end being in the water. I know I did a, a show talking about Hurricane Harvey and just the days and days and days in the water, the tax day floods in Houston. Uh, I believe that was in 2016. Yes, that was days and days and days in the water. Yeah, uh, because the the tax day floods hit. I think like two weeks before I started at that department with you. <laughs> oh, okay. I about to yeah, say I, I like I just missed it. <laughs> I remember you jumping at the bit and texting me the whole time asking, you know, how things are going. And it was a shit show. I mean, it was a complete shit show. <laughs> but we you know, you work for these departments and as I've said time and time again and, and many people have heard uh on all platforms is hope is not a tactic. But you have so many departments out there that just hope and pray that shit doesn't happen. They don't. They don't properly train their guys. They don't buy proper equipment, and that happened to be one of them. They that I'll department they, truly got caught with its pants down for flood. We had no water. Yeah, shit. y'all had no water. Shit. None. <laughs> there whatsoever. was of a three station department that covered about fifty eight square miles. I would say probably ten to twelve thousand rooftops in that area. Honestly, I don't remember what the population was at that time, but it was rapid growing area. We had three people in the entire department that was Swiftwater qualified, and so when it hit, it sucked. And of course, then you know there were several times we had we made a um, a water rescue of some children that got flash flooded into a, a high spot on a, a playground area in a, in a city park type thing, and the damn assistant chief who didn't have any qualifications at all, no fire cert, no EMT, no nothing, just a fucking walking headstone. Um, he was sitting well, he over there. nothing but a bag of bones, though. <laughs> True story. But he's over there trying to, I'm, I'm gearing up to go in the water, have my own personal equipment and everything, and he's trying to cert check me when I'm standing knee-deep in the water. Well, is, your, is your swift water shit current? No. Yeah, I've been working here for a couple years. You know that my swift water stuff has been out because y'all don't send people to renew it. And I hadn't had the money at that time to take myself over to go get my renewal because it was you know a couple thousand bucks to go get it done. So it's little simple things like that that uh, were frustrating, but I was able to complete. Well, and that, that brings back to the conversation that we were having earlier today is talking about the the life experience that we've been through. I mean, I've traveled all over the United States working pipelines, working oil field. I've all been all over the Gulf. I mean, I've been and seen things that 
I've forgot more about it than I've actually seen. But I mean, I can take into consideration all all of my Coast Guard training stuff. So I mean, like you're talking about your Swiftwater, I have all my offshore man overboard, my rescue boat training. I mean, I was getting dropped in a rescue boat 200 miles offshore and doing drills or training and everything else to be able to pick somebody up out of stuff rough enough that I was jumping the boat three feet in the air. I mean, like you just stuff like that carries with you through even into a new career new path it's still something you experience in life you can't just forget all that because you moved station or fire department or whatever which is exactly the topic that we're going to get into today <laughs> so that was a good icebreaker at another time we'll probably get in here and talk more you know more about our personal life stuff and everything uh between us but really something i wanted to talk about today going into uh, into this holiday and being a fucking rebel and writing papers and laws that make new countries and and carve out new ways of life, which is what this country is. It was saying, fuck you to the king. We're going to do things our way. And that's what I want to talk about today is being a, a badass American that says, fuck you to the king. And y'all can all think about what a king it looks like to you. And carving out how you truly want to make the next 20 years of the fire service. Because as things are going right now, you're all seeing it. You're all feeling it. Hell, most of you can't even go home because you're getting forced on fucking mandatory overtime all the time. What we're doing right now is not working, guys. It's not working. So what we're going to have to do is carve a new way. And one of the aspects of that is opening our eyes to the reality is opening our eyes to the fact that what we're doing is not working. I don't care that you've been doing it since 1991. Were you even alive then, Blake? No, you were born in 93. No, nope, I was born in 93, baby. Okay. <laughs> so we got we have policies and procedures for hiring and firing and operational shit that's been around longer than Blake's even been alive or I've been alive. And it's a completely different world now. We are in a completely different world. Every aspect of the business workplace has updated itself except for the fire service. Now, I'm a, I'm a true believer and I love tradition. But if tradition is costing you your career and tradition is going to make you get shut the fuck down by the city then tradition is not necessarily worth it. And well, that's that's and something we're going to talk about today. I was going to say, and there's a big difference between tradition and honor and carrying on the values of, a, of an entity and the policies and procedures you follow. There's a colossal difference there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, something I'm going to lay out the example. Blake and I had this conversation this morning. That's why I decided to bring him on this show and, and talk about it. So as you all know, you know, I'm going through some hiring processes and stuff. I do I do have a, a pretty badass a job right now, but I'm still checking out some options and seeing what's out there as far as my ability to um, expand on, on the rank that I currently hold. I'm going to leave it at that. But one thing that I've noticed throughout these hiring processes, and one thing I've been clearly warned at several departments, is... Yeah, we love your resume. We think that you'd be a great asset here. You have a shitload of experience, which is awesome. We desperately need that because we have 
a major shortage or we're looking upon a, a mass retirement because all the old guys have already hit their 20. So we're moving on, you know, and, and these guys in the next five years are going to be gone. So we're going to have a huge hole to fill throughout the department of very large percentages. <laughs> Some places I've talked to have been 50 to 75% of the department will be retiring over the next three to five years. But this is the, this is the conversation that takes place right after that. But for your entire first year, we're going to need you to shut up, forget everything that you know. I don't care that you were a captain at three departments. I don't care about the degrees and stuff that you hold. I don't care about your certifications. You need to just shit, sit down, shut up, do exactly what we tell you, and don't say a fucking word. And so Blake and that's I were... Tradition, that's, that, tradition. Yeah, that's tradition, baby. That's tradition. Yeah, that's tradition. So Blake and I were talking about it, and th- and this is the reality. I understand that. I do. I understand because I've had those rookies that came on the crew, and all you fucking heard was about their last department and how this was this way and this was that way and all the shit, and you finally just look at them and say, well, if it was so great, then why don't you still work there? Okay, I get that. But at the same token, if the guy's not coming in acting like that but carries himself or herself, whatever, with a badass level of experience and operational ability a level of professionalism a level of professionalism this is what the example that i gave to blake that i need everybody to to truly soak in and understand of what we are doing in the name of tradition so going back to a military example because that's the best way for me to describe it to people everybody knows who fucking seal team six is i'm not saying that i'm seal team six quality because those dudes are on a whole other fucking planet from what I have ever been or will ever be. But if you take a guy that has spent years, a decade, in a high-call volume department of a major city making a shitload of fires, a shitload of trauma, you name it, just literally doing the job at a place where if you want to be a firefighter, it's a dream place because you're earning it and it's badass. So... That's what I'm going to equate to being a a top-tier military member. So say a guy from SEAL Team 6, and the reason why I'm really harping on this is because during these conversations I've had with some departments, you know, they reiterated the fact that we're a fire department is paramilitary. We're paramilitary. Well, here I've told you all that I was going to get into that, and I'm going to get into it on this episode because I'm here to tell you we are fucking not. I'm tired of hearing that shit. The only thing that we're paramilitary about is when we want to cherry pick the rules out of the military to suit ourselves. But we are not paramilitary because we do not stick to shit. So one thing about the military is say you make sergeant or you make fucking whatever, chief. Since we're talking about the SEALs, we'll say say you make senior chief and you're working at a... Working for uh, whatever SEAL team you want to call it. I don't care. But you're working for a SEAL team, say, on the West Coast. And you transition and go to work for SEAL Team 6, which is on the East Coast. Do you think you lose your rank? You don't. No. But in the fire service, you you got to start all the way over. So one thing about that, this whole shit that drives me absolutely insane is guys can literally earn at very reputable badass departments with high call volume, high fire load, you name it, and they're doing it of all the different shit. And they're able to hold a rank at that department, but 
because they have a family dynamic change or something goes on, they need to move, they need to do this, whatever. Now they got to go over to a new department and completely start the fuck over. So that's saying that is trying to tell me that your expectations of being paramilitary is say this SEAL Team Six member who is done Bin Laden raids and everything else needs to move because he's having a family dynamic change or his family is still in the West Coast. So he's moving back to California. That guy has to completely go through fucking boot camp and buds all over again, redo everything, has to lose their rank and completely start the fuck over just to make somebody happy. That's not the way the military works. No. If they transition and go platoons or different battalions or whatever, they hold their rank and all their experience carries with them. All of the training, all that shit that they have in their pocket goes with them. They're not telling them, you have to fucking unsee everything that you saw, undo everything that you did, come over here and go through boot camp again to make sure that you can do fucking push-ups. Never mind the fact that you probably shot fucking Bin Laden. We're going to make you go over here and have to redo it all all over again because this is our department. Yep, you're a day one rookie and you don't know shit. What's a mop, sir? And it's... (laughs) That's what we're doing to people. Yeah, which is why, and and, and if you really think about it, how many people, I, I wish there was a way to take a poll or document how many people have said to hell with this and gone to the house and gone to find a different career and just left the fire service completely behind because they had a finance, like you said, they had a family dynamic change or a financial change and they had to make a big move in their life. And in having to move or shift or whatever and starting over at a new department, how many people... Nobody wants to do that. That sucks, man. No. It, I mean, so, I mean, we're going to get into your story. <laughs> uh, but I, I just kind of wanted to, you know, kind of explain to guys kind of where my thought process is on this shit and, and where this is all coming from because I'm currently going through it. You know, I got told last week that my 15 years... My eight years as a captain, all the fucking fires I made, none of it amounts to shit. I need to come here, eat shit, and and truly, basically, what I was told is essentially, there's guys there that have been there a year. I'm going to report to them because they're my seniors, and so say we make a fire, I have no say-so or no nothing because I'm a day one fucking rookie at that department, so I don't know fucking shit because I'm not allowed to bring my experience with me. And I have to go over here and say, I see that one-year firefighter making a bad tactical decision. I'm literally supposed to let him die because I'm a day one rookie. Yeah, that's that's not just stupidity. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. But we're so caught up in our own ways that that's truly how people are seeing things. Because, well, this is our department. You were at another department. It's all different. I'm here to tell you, folks, fucking fire is fire. Yeah. You know, the using the damn military background. You think them guys give a shit? ISIS is ISIS. Taliban is Taliban. It's all the same motherfuckers that they're having to fight and kill. It's still somebody trying to shoot your ass. <laughs> and it's the same for us. Yeah. Fire is still fire. And, yeah, you might have a different patch on your arm. Your color of your trucks may be a little different depending on where you go. The hose loads may be different. But the fucking buildings on fire don't change. 
If you know you're building construction and you're highly experienced in multiple levels, whether it's commercial, multifamily living, single-story residential, all that, it's all the fucking same. Right. But we are so caught up in our own personnel bullshit that we can't even recognize that. And, I, I mean, I know that that's something that you personally dealt with. So, so let's dive into it. Well, first of all, like, let me, let me touch on that a little bit, too. A, a lot of that circles back to people being insecure in themselves and worried about their job. Worried about the, the instead of saying, hey, yes, this guy's a rookie. He's coming in. He has 15 years experience with me. Let me see what I can learn from him, and we can make it as a better team. It's, oh, crap, I need to worry, be worried about my, my rank, my spot. He's going to come in and take it from me. Which that's, Yeah, that's a very valid point. I mean, that's the huge separation of the the new way of things versus how things were in the 90s and stuff like that. I mean, back then, from what... You know, the stories we've been passed down for generations, stuff like that, is it was a family. It was a team. It was how we all got into this business and this career to be a part of, and it's slowly being lost because of the new agenda, the new push for, and everything becoming political. But to delve into my story a little bit is so, you know, I came home from the oil field. I had done that for years uh, all over the globe. I've been places and seen dark holes in this country that I hope none of you ever have to. But that's just part of life. It's what I did for a job, paid my bills, and I learned a lot from it. I took those aspects and wanted to roll it into my fire career whenever I came to the house to be a dad. Well, I went to work at the department uh, with you working outside of the Houston area. Um, you know, I was there for quite a while. I had a bang up crew there. We were like a family. We took care of each other. I learned a fire and EMS just to point out. Yes. Yes. That it was a, it was, you got experience doing both. Cause that department, the and way it started off there is you started off on the ambulance and you essentially, this was by design, but you essentially, when you promoted to a senior firefighter, you promoted to the engine and then you just had to rotate off on, on the med yeah, unit. You had to earn your way off. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Through, just, through, through your map tests, through skills, sign off, stuff like that. You had to earn your way off the box. And the way that the turnover was there is about every eight months, there was a new, somebody new rolled in. So it worked out well for you to get, especially people just starting out for you to get your experience and you were running. I mean, we ran med calls constantly, wrecks constantly, fires constantly. You ran some crazy ass shit on your shift constantly. <laughs> yeah, we, that that department was honestly it was pretty crazy in the sense that of all the places I've worked, the most off the wall shit I ran there. Everything from a fucking plane crash to fucking zombie man. I was gonna say, but you ran what two, three plane crashes there. Four explosions, I I, three yeah, or four I had, explosions. I had two plane crashes there because we had two private, private regional style airports there, and one of them was a um, a training airport where they, um, you know, were teaching people how to fly out, yeah. in and out, and it it had a really bad. Uh, it was notorious for having a really bad crosswind on that runway, and so that I mean we made a couple. Uh, I made one that was it was a plane crash, but I mean it was salvaged. 
Uh, nobody ended up dying in that one. Then I made one where homie was dead as fuck on a rock. <laughs> uh, and it was simply, you're just standing by making sure that jet fuel don't catch off and waiting on the medical examiner's office to show up. Yeah, like so you can get body recovery. <laughs> that, it was literally that. So, yeah, I mean, that department, it was actually pretty badass in that sense because you did. You had everything from the way that area was there was mass residential development going on. So you had your single story and uh, two story residential fires all the time. You had three major, major traffic thoroughfares through that area. One that was what they call the grand parkway, which is is a a massive loop around the exterior of the Houston area where everyone is doing mock fucking fizzle. I'll say the, the standard speed limit on that is about 85 plus 85 plus all the time. So, I mean, seriously high mechanism of injury there, uh, all the time. I think I made three hog wrecks out there from somebody hitting a wild hog at running about 90. Yeah. Well, that was an aspect to it too, because you did have half the district. I mean, 58 square miles is a pretty, pretty large area for three stations, but you had, um, that was probably the most dynamic place we ever worked too, because half of yeah. it was straight rural yes. rural area with you know single story developments all over the place, pastures, ranches, and then on that was on one end of it, and then on the other end of it you had major metropolitan growth. Yeah, then, you had everything from like Academy Sports and Outdoors, H E B grocery stores, I mean the IKEA sh- all the furniture store place, massive commercial growth, retail stores and all that on one. So yeah, it was it was pretty phenomenal of the dynamic of that. So I mean one minute you're fighting a grass fire with a brush truck and the next minute you're literally making uh, like I made a Lowe's fire, uh Lowe's home improvement, whatever place we made that there. I mean it, it was the dynamics were pretty crazy there of having to learn all different aspects. Plus with highway 290 going through that district with all the co- the construction going on, you were extricating at least once a day there. Yeah, absolutely. And hazmat spills. Cause it was tons and tons of tractor trailer wrecks there going on. I l- kind of cut my teeth on hazmat there of dealing with diesel spills and oil spills oh, yeah, and absolutely. all that kind of stuff. So the dynamic there was, yeah, it was definitely, it was a great learning place. It, it truly was a great learning place. But the reality to that that department was, um, as you all have heard me talk about before, the entire administration was one large family. So the reality to that is, is all the positions were were tested promotions through a pretty vigorous um, promotional process of hands on skills and written skills and literacy skills. I mean, it, it was pretty pretty in depth. But the highest you could go was captain because above captains was all appointed positions and that was all family ran and operated. I was going to say, but from captain down, the majority of the department was jam up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the crew, some of the best people I ever worked with in my career worked there and and it was, it was truly phenomenal, but I'll let you, you know, get into it. I just want to kind of explain the dynamic there that, that you got there and you earned your shit. Yes, I did. I got there. I earned my shit. I brought in. So before I came home. From offshore, I worked, I had spent three years offshore on ships. What really kind of cut my teeth and even got me interested in and sparked the conversation of becoming a firefighter was doing the marine firefighting aspect because I went through the the basic, the beginner training, the middle training, the advanced training. I mean, I, I was doing it all while I was out there earning my earning my certifications through that and, and really got a feel for it and what... And learned that that was something that I really excelled in. Those high-pressure situations, high stress, 
It's just like a switch and you're in it. And I loved that aspect and learned that I was good in it. So whenever, you know, Heath and I had the conversation for me to come home and do be a fireman full time, I was like, yeah, why not? And here I am. But, yeah. you know, I went through that department. I earned my stripes. I got a whole lot of experience. But then an opportunity arose for me to come a lot closer to home. What Heath said before, that was a two and a half hour commute. We wind up the... The administration reneged on our on their original deal, so we were on different shifts. We weren't getting a ride together. Fuel was going up at the time, so it was it was a smart financial move for me to come closer to the house. So I did. I tested for a, a local or a more local department. Went through their very vigorous hiring process. Did everything they asked of me. You know. Passed with flying colors. They offered me a job. I took it. And I actually was really excited to work there. Well, as he talked about earlier, day one rookie status. We don't give a shit where you've been. We don't care what experience you have. This is the way. This is how you're going to learn. You're going to pretend like you don't know anything. And that's how it's going to be. Well, you know, I did that to the best of my ability. But it's hard to turn that off. Whenever you are, you come in from having so much life experience from not just fire, but all aspects of life. I mean, like Heath and I have talked about, we've grown up learning how to weld, learning how to run heavy equipment, working in the, working in the woods, working in construction. I mean, we can drive just about anything with wheels and most things without. We know how to do just about everything you can think of with our hands. I know how to do computer work. Hence why I'm really good at doing stuff for Heath and doing <laughs> stuff for this podcast. But the, the point is, is they wanted you to forget all of that. And I really had a problem with that. And the thing that interests me, and then I wound up realizing almost through the end of my first year, is I sat down with a guy one time, and to be real honest, dude got on my last nerve. I actually bumped heads with him quite a lot. Didn't really like him, but... He he had a serious talk with me one time that he went through the same thing. And what piqued my interest the most about that conversation and why I remember it to this day is that guy had come from working. Man, I can't even remember the exact title, but he knew a ton about hazmat and radioactivity and just phenomenal knowledge on a whole nother level. But he had only been at that department for like three years at the time, and he got treated the same way. Come in, shut the fuck up, sit down, learn our way, and that's the end of it. We don't care about what experience you have or where you've been. You're going you're gonna to be what we tell you to be, which was he even stated to me of how detrimental that was because one of the things he was excited about to bring to this department was his experience in that field to try and help build a program to better improve that department's standards and how they ha handled those situations. He actually wanted to write a whole program and policies and procedures and even teach his knowledge to the, to the other guys. And Yeah, which I'm going to interject on that just for clarity purposes. This department that you're speaking of is actually has the regional hazmat response team for our entire area of east texas and so you would think 
that they would be arms open to a guy that had outside specific and specialty training in hazmat. You yes, you would. You think, would think that. You would think that. <laughs> but the sad thing is, is he wasn't even on the hazmat team. No, he, he got denied because they wanted the good old boys who had been on it and and quote unquote earned their way to stay on it and run, yep. which is a which is a bunch of bullshit because I knew all the guys on the hazmat team because I was housed at the hazmat station and half those guys didn't know a damn thing what they were talking about because I knew a lot about hazmat, which is why I liked having this conversation with this other firefighter because coming from my offshore background, I worked on a chemical boat. So I literally knew all about hazmat, containment, the environmental impacts, all that <laughs> stuff I had to be educated on to... A very high level because after yeah, the great the, after the great BP oil spill, yeah, man, no shit. The the whole offshore game changed, and we as man, I, I give props to people that still work out there because the the level of training and certifications and stuff that they have to learn and retain on an annual basis is extensive, especially when it comes to environmental stuff. Yeah, the environmental impact of the Gulf due to chemicals is is a major issue yes it is um which is gone is has helped you tremendously in your current role it has it has but um, that's something <laughs> you know getting into that uh of course as you all know we don't name departments or anything like that but one aspect of the department that he's talking about was a civil service department and this is one of the big issues that i have with civil service departments uh, for those of you that have never taken a civil service exam, is the entry exam for the majority that I know of. Now, if there's some out there that I don't know about, I'm sorry. But the civil service exams that I've either taken part in or been around pretty much have absolutely nothing to fucking do with fire, rescue, hazmat, or EMS. It is designed to be an entry-level exam for anyone off the street to be able to gain employment with that agency. The majority of the questions are asking about colors of fucking crayons and counting money. It's a competency test. It is a literal competency test of basic education from high school and junior high knowledge to basically say, yes, this person has a brain and we can get them in the door and be able to train them. So the reality to that is the guys coming in, taking that test, they have not shown jack shit at that point because they have not promoted. They're holding a firefighter rank and they can go ride that hazmat position. All they have been able to do is demonstrate that they know the colors of crayons and how to count dimes and pennies. And because someone likes them, that then makes them qualified to be a regional support for hazmat for several hundred square miles. Yeah. And <laughs> that's a fucking problem in that's the a fire service. Joke. That's it not is, a problem. It's a joke. It is a joke, which this is my show, so we can say we want it's a complete fucking joke. Yes, you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. And so, you know, that landed you a level of frustration right out the gate that they're they're expecting people to come in, and, and we've all seen it. So I'll go ahead and paint the picture of what a lot of these fire departments, fire chiefs, and, and fire officers are expecting. And this is not a dig at anyone personally. I hope you don't take it that way, but it's just the reality uh, of what I've witnessed a lot. These fire departments want squeaky clean guys that have never done anything in their life but went to school and went home 
Some of these departments don't even want people that went to public school because then they would have been exposed too much. They want truly homeschooled, no level of religion, because we can't have any kind of religion because that would give you an opinion about something. So basically, we want just a complete blank canvas to walk in the door and be 18 years old and shut the fuck up and do exactly what we say and you might make it here. So a guy coming in like you, you were, how old were you? I don't even remember how old were you whenever you made that transition. When I came home from, so when I came home from the ships, I was 21. So about 23, 24, whenever I started at that department, that particular department. Okay. So a 24 year old with two children, married, home, mortgage, truck notes, Real life experience. Real life experience, right. Uh, traveled all over the country. I mean, I know you did. You, you've you worked. I've been all over the world, though, man. And that's, that's what... true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've been all the way to fucking Japan. I ain't even done that. But, um, <laughs> you know, you just have, you're supposed to erase all that and shut up and, and tell us that you know the colors of crayons to work here. Well, and that's what, but you have to remember, though, whenever I got put at that particular department and that particular station, I was assigned to a man that probably has never been out of the, east texas area well that that opens up the next gate so let's move let's move on in into your <laughs> further into your career uh well so i uh i'm the type of person i don't like to sit around whenever things need to be done i will get up and i will do them and i will do them as fast as i possibly can even if there is a substantial deadline so having already have gained been had life experience that i've had having the fire experience that i had having already been through a rookie orientation at my previous department when i got to this next one you know they get i'm going to interrupt you real quick just on that just what i want people to know is i was an officer at that department that you were a rookie at i was one of the lead officers that was cleared to ride the district chief car at that department the rookie period at that department was no fucking joke. I'm aware. <laughs> I know, but I, a lot of people may think when you say that, they may think that you just breeze through whatever. I want it to be abundantly clear that we were hard as shit on guys. You we were, were you were hard as shit. That, that first department that we worked together at, y'all were absolutely hard as shit. That's why I was prepared going into the next one, because what I went through at that first one was 10 times harder than the next one. <laughs> yeah, because so one aspect about that, uh, and, and I could speak on this because at that current moment when you were working there, I was helping design the entire uh, rookie and officer training program for that entire department. Right. I was very heavily involved with all the training that was going on at that. And, and the reality to all that was is we demanded a lot from the, from the rookies there. You had to know your med unit. You had to know your engine. And we also, because of the low amount of staffing that was there, uh, you were getting advanced way further into that on having to do highly complex uh, pump-out drills and everything when it came to being a driver operator on the pumper. Oh, yeah. I remember within my first month there, y'all had me out pumping the truck and doing complex pumping scenarios my first month at my first department. I mean, I was still learning what was on the truck and where to drive the damn thing. But you, and y'all yeah. had me running complex. I mean, I could. By the time I was there three months, I could pump that whole truck with my eyes closed and knew how to run it. If something ever happened and I got pulled off a line and had to go pump the truck, even as a rookie, I knew my job. 
Right, which the the reasoning for that, because a lot of people listening may be like, damn, why why the fast accelerator? The reason for that is because that district was so large. What people need to understand is we ran three-man engines, which I know a lot of places are like, what? Yes, we ran a three-man engine crew. On a Uh, good day. uh, Yeah, that was on a good day. But for the most part, we had three-man engine crews. But the reality to that department was your next, if you make a fire, your next incoming engine was 12 to 14 minutes away on a fucking good day with no traffic. That's going 75 sitting on the fucking governor the entire way from one end of the district to the other, not running into traffic, not having any kind of of issues arise, and that you were in-house. You weren't on a call. So basically what I'm saying is is your backup was a long ways away. Yeah, your, your backup, if you were lucky enough to get them, was the med unit. If you had them, which most of them were um, usually paramedic onlys, which that was a whole other aspect. A lot of people don't agree with. One thing that I pushed very heavily for, and a lot of guys did, was um, our paramedic onlys were trained on all outside fire ground operations. Mm -hmm. They knew how to pull hose. They knew how to change out air bottles. They knew how to run rehab and accountability and all that kind of shit because we were were 100% relied on them. While we're inside fighting the fire, they're handling all the shit outside because they're the only ones out there. I was just saying, I know a few of them that actually got the fire bug but hadn't gone to uh, fire school yet, stepped up and wanted to learn so they could help pump the truck if they needed to. Yes, that was that was a real reality there. So I just kind of wanted to paint that picture that that there you had a large responsibility as a rookie. So it's, you know, some people may say, well, I got through all my rookie stuff there, but that might have only been getting checked off on the ambulance or that might have only been checked off on, on just engine operations riding backwards. That's not necessarily getting cleared on everything, which there you were. I mean, that's everything from all of your regular fire ground operations are riding backwards, whether you're, you know, riding the nozzle seat or riding the plug seat to all of your extrication shit to all of your med unit checkoffs and all that shit, plus being cleared to be able to drive and pump in the need that that you had to step up and ride that you were cleared and experienced on all that at a high call volume department. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to kind of paint that picture. I was gonna say, and so so you paint that picture, and that that kind of leads me into the fuck stick that I got stuck working for. So day one, you know, I got I went in, kept my head down, was told, you know, as as I've repeatedly said, shut up and do what we tell you. Well, I did that. So because I was trying to learn my way, but I had already gone through such a rigorous. Uh, rookie period and learned my job that that trend and it was all still fresh that it transitioned over into the next one i mean their their truck sign offs knowing where everything was i mean that was all second nature and clicked within the first two weeks i was there well one of the biggest things i butted heads with against that guy was one of his requirements for me every day was to start the engine drive it out onto the apron, put it in pump gear, let it idle and run, idle it up, idle it back down, and turn it off. (laughs) I had spent the last whole part of my fire career learning how to do complex pumping scenarios, running five, six hoses, you know, running everything from, from... in taking off five inch to do in drafting out of yeah uh ponds lakes 
in our freaking water drop tank. Yeah, I was going to say that was one one dynamic to that department is over half of that district was not hydrated. So every single structure fire in that district, we dropped a drop tank on and did shuttle operations. Mm-hmm, with that big-ass tanker. <laughs> yeah, fucking, what was it? Was it 4,500-gallon tanker? It was a super tanker. It was massive. It was super, uh, I thought it was more... No, I think it was. I think it was forty five hundred gallons. Yeah, it was forty five hundred to five thousand. The one at my station was a two thousand gallon. That's right. You're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you had we drafted every fucking fire. Right. And then where you go to work, the entire district is hydrogen. Them motherfuckers can't spell draft. Right. So, (laughs) so I literally he he made it a requirement of me that every single morning of my shift for a year. That was what he wanted me to do, was go start it up, drive it out, make it idle, and turn it off. Okay, well, that's all well and good. I understand the concept of that, but I can pump just as good as your EO at this point. Maybe not quite as well on that particular apparatus, and I needed to learn that, and I understood that, but it wasn't going to take me a year to familiarize myself, considering my life experience from... Working in engine rooms on a ship, working all over in the pipeline, reading gauges, pressure testing, all kinds of hundreds of miles of pipe all over the country. I mean, my, not to toot my own horn, but I was a whole lot smarter than the average 18-year-old coming into this department, and that was what I was being treated as, and it was annoying, but. You swallowed it for a while. I swallowed it for a very long time, but the problem was is on top of being asked to do that, I was doing the all of the checkoffs for the entire apparatus bay myself, including the hazmat command truck, which was massive. Well, it t- wasn't a, that was a, a heavy you're right. It you're was right. a heavy, heavy a heavy rescue, heavy hazmat truck. It was a full fucking pumper sized truck with every aspect of hazmat and rescue operations. It yeah, wasn't just a pickup truck. No, it wasn't just a pickup <laughs> truck. It was any bigger, it would have been a. It should have been on a semi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the regional response truck that covers several hundred square miles uh, of East Texas. Right. I mean, it had a shitload of equipment on it, and the fact that you, yeah, keep going. Well, I was <laughs> I was required to go through that truck every day, which I didn't find out till I was about seven months into my career. That was actually the captain's job. Which, is well, a- I was about saying. I don't want you to skip over it because it's very important to me and a huge fucking pet peeve of mine. Oh, just, the fact that I had to, that he required me to check off his pack every day and put his gear on the truck. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's something. Yeah. That was my requirement every day as well. So I, anyway, I checked the, the main med unit, the backup med unit, the heavy rescue, and the, uh, the fire apparatus on top of checking all the air packs on all of those. Because they were on all of those. just That was just the way the department ran. Even the med unit had air packs in the back. Which was fine. I had no problem doing all that because I knew my station was squared away. I'm weird like that. And don't that aspect, I never minded whatsoever. It was the fact that I got in trouble for not handling someone else's job. And that was something that I actually got wrote up for. Was not putting his gear on the truck and checking his air tank off one day because I caught a med call and had to leave right after getting into the station. And that happened on me getting a call as soon as we're walking in the door. Happened on numerous occasions, which is why the further I got into my rookie period there, the more the 
pumping the truck and pulling it out of the station became an issue because what was y'all's average call volume on your med unit that day? Because you were my, assigned to the ambulance. Yes, my med unit alone averaged twelve to fourteen calls every shift. That's what I thought. Yeah. With an average runtime of forty-five minutes or longer. So for twelve to fourteen hours every shift, I was running the roads busy. All the time in between that, I was either trying to eat, trying to go to the bathroom, or I was on scene on a call. Or at the hospital waiting to find a bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for the people that don't know that this area is, is, I mean, we're very limited on hospitals. So your wait time at the hospitals can be, you can be extended out. And that, so that was a regular thing. So I wind up, you know, I'm pretty well into my rookie career. But the thing about it is, is so they gave us a rookie book that was pretty thick. It was pretty thorough. It went over every apparatus at every station through the whole department. You had to learn where everything was. You had to be able to memorize where everything was. You had a map test for every de every department's district. I mean, you had to do every bit of every station throughout the whole city and learn it. Not just yours. All of them. Because the way that their low man on the totem pole worked if somebody else called off at another station and didn't come in that day you had to go fill the spot so you got kicked out of your station and had to go somewhere else so you had to know where to go for that place too where everything was on that apparatus well i did all that so they give you a full year to complete your rookie book i did it in six months i was on the only thing i was missing was the final assignment and that was where i had to give an oral presentation over a line of duty death and i never got a chance to do it <laughs> Yeah, not to mention making 12 to 14 runs a day. Which, that I, I mean, I worked EMS in that county, and that is that is a very loose average number on the low end, I would say, because you do have a multitude of days where it's a lot more than that. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you think about it. So if in that particular city, if... Plus, y'all ran EMS, now we want EMS for the entire county. For the, and that was just what I was fixing. You know, we ran EMS for the entire county, so if the ambulance on the other side of town or all of the other ones were busy and you caught a call on the opposite end of the county which could have been 45 minutes away just getting there yeah. you were getting sent and i can't tell you how many times at three o'clock in the morning i was getting sent to the other end of the county for a freaking stub toe yeah yeah there's places <laughs> in that county that if you're even if you're in-house uh your response can be can be 45 50 minutes going 100 fucking miles an hour one way well, I can tell you those ambulance <laughs> pegged out at 98, baby, 98. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the way, that, and that's the way that that county has, has been ran and operated and everything, and they're doing it all with, what, four ambulances? They were doing it with four ambulances, yeah. They needed to be running about seven. Yeah, well, didn't y'all have, y'all, y'all had a consultant that come in while you were working there, right, that, that went over all that kind of shit with the city? Oh, yeah, I told them all that, and they were like, okay, thanks. <laughs> Did nothing with that information whatsoever. But they also couldn't staff it. I mean, so while I was there, I had a conversation with one of my seniors, and he told me that he had kept a count of the rotating door of people since he had started there five years prior. In five years, he counted like 73 people had come and gone. What's the reality to that for the people that are interested um, that means that there's 73, approximately 73 that also 
got sent through paramedic school on that city's dime. Yeah, so the way that this city operated is you came in, you did your rookie year. Once you finished your rookie year, you did two years in the uh, paramedic course, and they sent you to it, paid you for it, and you got overtime the whole time you were in it. But the way that they had, and this just further further defines the brilliance of the administration of this place is the way their verbiage was set up in their contracts they made with you was you had to do two years with the department for them to pay for your paramedic school before you were allowed before you could essentially leave well the way they had it worded was it didn't matter your two years well by the time you start paramedic school you only you already have one so if you work for them for another two years while you finish paramedic school You've done three years for them, and all of them left within two or three months after getting their certification. <laughs> so they get off scot-free. They got off scot-free. And the, the taxpayers eat the shit. Yes. Yeah, I would I would honestly, just my personal, because I, I mean, I have a hard passion for this, as you know, but my personal knowledge, I would actually like to see a tally on what that is. Um, well, I don't really have any friends left at that department, so I don't think I'll be able to get that for you. <laughs> That's pretty much the reality. So, you know, we won't get into the actual, uh, the true nitty gritty on on what all happened. We'll save that for a later date, you know, unless you feel comfortable with it. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you to do that. Uh, uh, we'll save that for another time, another topic. But um, that's that's definitely in a complete show in itself of, of what happens when you have a horrible toxic environment with horrible leaders and officers. Um, and to be, to be completely frank, the situation that you went through of being an officer, if the things that were conducted, the way that business was conducted throughout your entire process, if I had done that as an officer, at any department I'd ever worked at, they would literally have nailed me to the fucking cross. Well, not not just that. And the the sad reality of my situation is is there and I and I'll openly admit there was a lot of good guys and good crews at that department on different shifts. I just happened to not get them. Yeah. Um and if that's fair. If that had been handled by anyone else, what had happened to me would not have happened. But given the 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 place that I was put the station that I was assigned to the officers that I was assigned under that was why it would happen to me because it was a poor chain from the bottom to the top yeah so looking at it in an aspect of going in having you know a lot of people may not know much about the Marine firefighter. Of course, I have my, my basic Marine firefighter, so I, I know a little bit about what your background was on doing that and the amount of training you go. And I know that you had several fires when you worked offshore. And that, <laughs> Let me interject on that. I'm going to tell you all uh, who are listening to this, Marine firefighting is no joke because uh, there is no backup. You're it. If you can't do your job, you're going down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a real reality. And, and it's a completely di different dynamic. You know, the, the way that it was described to me when I was going through my basic was uh, essentially a boat is a skyscraper laying on its side. Yes. So you fight the fire essentially like you would a high-rise fire in the sense of how you advance on, on necessarily like the compartments. Yes, the compartment is essentially a level. 
Right, but the difference is, is you're dealing with mass chemicals. You're dealing with solid fucking metal. It's not sheetrock and wood burning. It's fucking metal and chemicals burning. So the fires are hotter. You have no backup. Your water supply is half-ass limited in the sense that you have to connect into your FDCs or what did y'all call them on ships? Uh, hose connections. Uh, just standpipe, basically. It was all standpipe. Yeah, standpipe. So, I mean, it, it's a completely different dynamic. But coming in with that level of, uh, we got to get shit done because you're on a fucking island and this bitch is going to go down. I was going to say, and, and then the really interesting dynamic on that too, is you had to be on your shit because not only, so even the dumb idiot firefighter on the, who, you know, has only been through basic, basic Marine firefighter, they still have to be on point because, and have to be smart enough to realize that, you know, that's the beauty about, or the, thing that's taken for granted almost with structure fires and stuff like that is when you flow water you flow water what all your objective is is get that fire out on a marine fire you have to know how much water's coming out of your nozzle because you have to account for it because mm. for every gallon you got to account for the weight that's going out into the boat that will shift because you have to relay that over the radio as you're doing it say hey i've been running this long we're flowing this amount of water because so you're sinking yourself. You're sinking yourself, and the uh, the people in the bridge have to compensate for that to keep the boat afloat. Yeah, but you don't know how to put a put a truck in in drive and drive it on apron. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't sorry. know how to take I don't know how to take it out of idle. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know that to me, that's honestly, it's very frustrating. That's very frustrating. And I, I mean, I know that you're my brother, and it is what it is, but. Anybody that's around us knows I'm hard as fuck on you. <laughs> Anyone that might ever think that I would ever show you favoritism is a dumb bastard. No, Cause, no. Yeah, because it's, it's ten times worse. Those, the guys that we all worked with at the plant, they um, you know, they would see it and they'd be like, God damn, you're hard on him. I'm like, I ain't cutting him no slack. Yeah, no, it's the exact, it's the exact opposite of favoritism. But to me, honestly, one one of the biggest things that I always took as far as for running a cruise and everything is, you know, say, I, I love using this example. You have a guy that comes in on your crew that's Hispanic and speaks Spanish, but he's a day one rookie. And you run a call with a Spanish speaking only patient. So you're just going to tell that day one rookie, no, you shut the fuck up. Hell you're, no. You're you not make his ass talk. start talking. <laughs> right. Are you going to use his experience to better the situation and be successful on the call? Right. You well, it circles back to what you said in 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 your leadership show um, several episodes back. Is the there's different types of leaderships, and one of the best ones and most successful ones is a leader who puts people around him and uses their knowledge and their assets to lift up the entire team versus putting yes men and people who will do whatever they say around them to protect his position. <laughs> which is the complete definition of the fire service currently. Currently. You're absolutely right. So, you know, everything that happened, it is what it is that happened with you as far as for working that department. And, and it was a pretty long drawn out process uh, for you to essentially rid that, <laughs> rid that from your resume. And, you know, we'll get into all that because one thing that I want people to, to understand or know um, when I, when I call for action, on this show, and I and I say or tell people, you know, hey guys, you need to do this, or whether it's getting politically involved or 
or talk about employment rights and all that kind of stuff. You know, you firsthand when all when you were going through what you were going through, you're picking up the phone and calling me and say, "Hey, what do you what do I need to do?" Legally, what do I need to do? Well, yeah, because you had the education to back it up at the time. And, and that was, especially whenever I was getting started with what I went through, is I didn't even know to where to begin. And you were 50 textbooks in from where <laughs> I was trying to start. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I was first call, hey. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, bottom line, what I genuinely mean that. Of the things that they did... Every action of the officers that took place on your crew and up would be completely unacceptable at any other department ever. It bottom line is ever. But the reality to it is, is what people need to understand is educating yourself on what your rights are as an employee in the United States of America is truly your best asset on protection of what you can do to benefit yourself and, and save your own ass. Oh, I, and, I, having gone through what I went through, that is my 100% recommendation is know your employment rights, is know what is acceptable and what is not and what you can literally throw in their face and hit them with the book because what they're doing is wrong. And now, granted, at 25 years old, I didn't hadn't thought about that ever. Because I was worried about my kids at home. I was worried about making a paycheck and paying my bills. And the last thing, I was worried about doing a good job and just going to the house. I wasn't worried about whether or not all the things that were being done or said or the way I was being treated was above board because I just wanted to do my job and go home. And I got complacent. When in reality, at 18 years old, I should have read an employment law book. Yeah. And looking back, I would have done that. And it probably would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of stress. So what, without getting into the details of the actual, the actual issue that took place, but what is something as far as, you know, learning from the experience, taking all that, what is the biggest thing like that you took away from all that moving forward? Um, man, I learned so much from that. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one. What, what I, related related to this topic of of being an experienced, mature, m- more mature man coming into the department, and then and then you know being treated the way you were, and then it progressing. To to be honest, going into the department to begin with, I think I would have had a better understanding to what I was stepping into and made a more educated decision of whether that was a good fit for me to begin with rather than just crap. I need a job. I would have shopped around a little better and been more selective or at least more upfront. Whenever they offered me the job, I'd have been like, Hey, this is my experience level, and this is how I expect to be treated. If this is not going to work for y'all, then perhaps this is not the best fit for me. Okay. <laughs> I love that. You know I love that. <laughs> that's uh, I mean, you know how that's how I go into every interview. I know, and I have since then, and it's honestly been a colossal weight off my shoulders, and I actually feel good about going to work especially now that I work where I do because I really do love it there. But even the, the places that I worked 
after having left that toxic department is I went into every interview after that, even when I was still going through what I, I had was I went in in my job interview. I, I laid it out. I said, you know, what do you expect from me? And then whenever they it, it came around, to, they would ask me, well, do you have any questions for us? I said, absolutely. And I'd rattle off several, one of which being, what are you expecting from me in a year, two years, five years? If I stay with you, how do you expect me to grow? But also, are you going to use what I have to bring to the table? Or am I wasting my time here before I ever even get started? Hell yeah. Shit. <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect example. I don't, I mean, I really don't even have to say on that. That's exactly, I mean, that's how I've always done my interviews and it's always come out. Basically I'm loved or hated. Well, and that's, that's truly how you're going to come out. Either they are going to be blown away and utterly just like absolutely love you for having that candor with them and being up front or they're going to absolutely hate you and throw your shit in the trash as soon as you walk out the door. Which at that point, your time's not getting wasted. Right. It's not getting wasted. You're, and, and you can feel good about yourself walking out that door that you know if they call you back, you can be comfortable making that, that decision of whether to, to come there and better their department with your knowledge and experience. Because, I mean, and, and not hating on young people just getting started out, but whenever you're older and you're moving between departments or stuff like that, you are bringing things to the table, and that needs to be appreciated. That needs to be thought about. That needs to be accepted, and you need to be treated and kind to that. This whole starting over from boot camp level bullshit is ridiculous and i don't agree with it at all so say uh i mean i know where you're at right now but you have the potential of moving into in a supervisory type position in the future it's still i mean y'all are still doing industrial firefighting and everything like that say you as a co-worker of all the guys that you work with which i know most of them How would you present that? So for for the listeners out there that are, you know, thinking or they're in a position, maybe it's an officer or whatever that's in a position that they're agreeing with what we're saying, that you need to honor people's life experience, work experience, let them join the team and build the team rather than trying to erase the canvas and, and build them into whatever kind of fucking mean Frankenstein bullshit that you think you need to do. There are people out there that are listening. Well, so how do I go about doing that with them catching conflict? So how would you say some of the guys you work with want to treat a rookie like shit when they come in to work for y'all? How would you handle that? Uh, well, first and foremost, I would get to know that rookie myself so that my opinion is not based off of others. I have my own. And then if we're having, say, if me and the people, uh, the other people, same rank as me or whatever, in that situation, I'd pull them aside and just have a round table about it and be like, hey, this is where this guy is coming from. I understand that your 
mentality and your way of doing things is to try and jarhead the shit out of it by breaking them down and starting over to learn our way fully but why not embrace what they already know and build on it rather than trying to start over because at that point if you really think about it you're taking more time to teach them something rather than finding a way to correlate what they already know and building upon it to incorporate it into what y'all do as your own department so I mean the best way to is kind of spearhead that off and and try and sort that out with your fellow officer um, or fellow rank to kind of head off that type of treatment and type of thought process and then see what becomes of it from there and then whether you need to intervene further. All right. So say... You have somebody that absolutely refuses and they're just going to completely treat somebody like shit. Regardless of, of how good they are, regardless of they're just, they're, no, they're day one rookie and we're going to put them through the ring or I don't give a damn. This is how we do it. Well, do you want the political answer? Or there the ain't nothing answer? about this show fucking political. <laughs> you know, I don't give a fuck. Well, the good old fashioned way of uh, ranks don't mean shit and let me whoop your ass behind the woodshed works pretty well, but. Yeah, uh, well, people are too damn chicken shit for that these days. I'd be I'd probably the goddamn president if people would let people <laughs> <laughs> still still let people box. Well, which I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean that that is a huge issue right now in, in the fire service. Is you know everybody that that goes back to that cherry picking bullshit. Yeah, um, I bitched about that before. You know, part of tradition used to be that you could sit down at the table. We all sit down at the kitchen table. Rank is off the fucking table. I don't give a shit if you're a captain. I don't give a shit if you're a day one rookie. Everyone at that table is a human being and has a voice. Well, and that's how it's meant to be. You know, they want to cherry pick tradition and talk about this and talk about that. That is one of the biggest ones is um, when you sit down to have roundtable time, like you just said, you're all human beings and it's time to talk stuff out. You have to have that family dynamic in a crew or it will never last and there will always be problems. Which is why you look up and you see departments having 100% turnover rates. Well, that is why the brotherhood of the fire service is practically out the fucking window. Oh, it is. At this point, it is. It's nothing but a bumper sticker fucking tagline. <laughs> um, and, and I say that I say that sickened by it. I mean, it's comical because you still say, hey, brother, which... I mean, you know my pet peeve on that because you are my damn brother. I hate that. Oh, I know. You don't even bro me, man. <laughs> I can't. F because <laughs> because my my experience in the past, the people that would want to sit there and say, hey, hey, brother, you're my brother, all that shit, were the quickest ones to stab you in the back. Absolutely. And that's all my experience, too. I mean, So I can't fucking stand but... that. Like, I just, it, that's just me. I, that's that's one of those pet peeves I can't fucking stand. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't even say that to each other. Right. Well, and the, and the closest I ever got to that was at that first department with your crew, my crew, even the other shift's crew, is it didn't matter which station, which crew, everybody at that department from the captains down treated each other like family like it was supposed to be, but then nobody walk around going, hey, brother, because nobody cared about that. It was just, hey, we're all here. Let's all make it work. <laughs> yeah, let's fucking tend to this 48 and go home. Right. Which I, <laughs> So I will say, you know, that department, I... I give it a lot of fucking grief. I do because, um, well, because there, there's the, a lot of fucking problems. There's there. a lot of fucking problems there. Um, but one thing I will say about that place, um, 
during the time period that I was there, I can't speak for now, or I can't speak before I was there, but during the time period I was there, the officers there truly earned their spot. Are you talking about the Chiefs? No, the captains. Oh, the, oh yeah, no, that's an understatement. No, the fucking Chiefs, That was you were born into that. But Well, the, no, there, there was at least one I, that, as you've spoken before, was... Yeah, no, he was solid. Okay, yeah, for sure, he was solid, but he wasn't part of the family. Right. Um, but the Mine other, was. <laughs> yours was part of the family. But the reality to it is, is the officers at that department truly earned their spot. There wasn't anyone that was job scared there. Because during the time period I was there is when the department did a complete restructure. And even guys that had been captains prior to that restructured were required to retest for their positions. Yeah, and I remember several of them were stripped. Yeah, there was a couple that were. They lost their positions because they did not meet the qualifications and they did not pass the test. And there was a lot of gremlin and a lot of bitching. Cause there was I a whole lot it. of bitching. I listened to it for months from every shift. But, like you said, those guys earned their spots, they knew they earned their spots, and they weren't worried about somebody snaking them due to ass-kissing. Right. <laughs> or some bitch that could, so, you know, that... Well, and my, my favorite thing about that, yes, that testing and the way they did stuff there was hard as fuck, but it wasn't out of a book. No, I mean, so we, you, we had a written test, but the only thing... So you had, so that, cause I mean, I ended up taking both of them. I had to promote through that restructure. I had to promote for the EO spot. And then I took the captain's test twice cause I failed it the first time. And the reality was, is you did a written test and the written test was over for, so for EO, the written test was over your driver operator, uh, basic knowledge out of the, out of the book there. I was out of the IFSTA book. But then on top of that, you had a, a full streets test and then you had a full administrative test that was over like all of your SOGs, policies and procedures and all that stuff that would be, I guess, uh, associated with being a driver operator. So that was the portion of the, of the driver test that was written. And then you progressed on to a driving test. Then you progressed on to a pumping test and then you did your interviews and stuff. And the reason that they went through all those processes is because you had to know the job before you fucking promoted. Right. I mean, how many departments we see, like where, where you were at or any of these other civil service departments, guys might have not ever even rode up in that spot before they go take a civil service exam over some bullshit where they're memorizing stuff out of the book, and then they, they take on this position, and it's learn as you go once you're in that position. Well, that leaves you really, really subjective to a lot of job scared because... Well, not only that, it's not just being job scared, too, is you don't have the knowledge or the experience to back up your own decisions. Yes. Now, granted, there can be some good people come out of that way of doing things, but it's very minimal. Those guys aren't comfortable in their own position to make the right calls and know they made the right calls to back that up. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I I mean, especially when they so say they haven't taken so, you know, for us, like I said, we had to take part of that test was SOGs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and like, so for the, and even the, the written test for the driver part was, um, a complete knowledge of the truck. Mm -hmm. So they had the truck and they had all the compartments and you had to list. It wasn't fucking multiple choice. You had to list everything in every compartment on that apparatus. Mm Mm-hmm. Including the cab. Oh, I know. That's what, I still remember my first week there because <laughs> I worked overtime. So I, I literally came in my first week at my first fire department. I worked my shift 
And I was there for 96 hours straight on overtime, my very first rattle out of the bag, <laughs> because your shift was shorthanded and I had to stay over. Yeah, and we were working 48s. Um, and I remember to this day, you even, you called my captain, because I was working at the other station, you were like, have him go out there and memorize that truck. By the end of the 48-hour shift, I want to be ab- I want him to be able to tell me everything in every compartment while we're riding home together and he's having to rattle it off out of the back of his head and not even being able to look at that bitch. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, I mean, that's the reality. You got it. That is a baseline thing. If you work at a fire department, you should know every single fucking nook and cranny on that truck. And I could, but I mean, by my second week there, you could say, Hey, go grab this. Hey, go grab that. I knew exactly where it was without even having to think about it. And the reality, the sad reality to that is, is fire trucks don't change you know once you know where the equipment is yeah shit's in, in different compartments maybe to an extent it may be on this side of the truck or that side of the truck but, but it's all the same stuff it's all the same fucking stuff it is and that's a, that they might be called this or called that but it's different the same brand damn thing right? and that's the thing that that kind of frustrates me when it comes to that whole mentality of you got to erase everything that you know and come in and that's it's poor thinking it's just setting yourself up to have to train that train someone that much harder like i said earlier build on what they already know all that's going to do is make your team better make that person better because then they'll feel good about where they come from and what they're learning rather than well, damn, they don't give a shit about me. Yeah. So, I mean, not to get super emotional, but going in to that department and being being basically told that, how, genuinely, how did that make you feel? Like, I, I know that sounds off fucking millennial status, but, <laughs> but I mean, the reality is, is when you, uh, when you can't fucking recruit people and you can't fucking staff trucks, at some point you got to start thinking about how you're fucking making your employees feel. Insignificant and under, well, yeah, undervalued would be the best word for that. I mean, like I've harped on over and over throughout the show is, I mean, if you don't appreciate where someone comes from and what they already know, they're not going to feel like you give a damn about them or... It doesn't encourage them to invest in your department, learn, and help build it into something better. So when it that whole topic circles back to what you've talked about since your very first shows is start at the bottom and work your way up. If your people at the very bottom feel valued and like they're contributing to the whole department by bringing their knowledge or by helping build their shift and team and station, that's only going to expand up because it's going to make your, your firefighters feel better. Your senior firefighters feel better. Your lieutenants or EOs feel better that all the way to your captains, your chiefs, because those people as everyone around them and on every level become more comfortable in their job, they know the person next to them is 100%. They know the person below them is 100%. They know the person above them is 100%. So it's just a compounding factor expanding outwards and will eventually reach through the whole department. But if you have shitbags running the show that just want to beat down the person below them, 
that's never going to happen. So how do you fix that? Well, we can't, I mean, we can't do it the way we do it in East Texas. So, I mean, like you've said in your earlier shows, the, the start at the bottom, not necessarily, I mean, your rookies, your firemen, the captains actually have much more power than they realize in terms of how much they can change. Because if the people under them feel valued, feel like they're contributing, it might inspire them to contribute even more. You may have lieutenants that want to branch out and train more. They might want to help build programs in the department to uh, better train not just their station or their crew, but throughout the entire department. It may inspire captains or even the chief of, hey, you know, this idea came from this station crew. I really like the way they're doing things. Let's make that a standard across the whole department because it brings everyone up to the next level. You can start small. You can start with the smallest person. And it can expand given the... I mean, it's... it's it's like a light in a fire. You can start with a match and it could turn into this whole 40 acres being burned in the fuck up. It's just <laughs> how you handle that initial flame and expand it and feed it. I completely agree. Uh, that I mean, that's the whole purpose of this show. Well, that's why we're here. And that's why I've had your back from day one on getting this thing up and rolling. Because <laughs> you flame this flame enough, who knows what can change. So what's your... What's your true and harsh opinion on chiefs and officers that refuse to get with the times? Check the fuck out and go home. <laughs> get out of the way, man. I don't care that you've got three years left for your granddaughter to graduate school and you need the money. Go work at Lowe's, motherfucker. I don't care. If you are beyond the point of being helpful, you're no longer needed. If you are stagnant, if you are job scared, if you're going to keep doing shit the same old way and not expand your horizons and grow with the times, then you're nothing but in the way in a roadblock. Which is why so many departments are gridlocked in their officer roles. In their officer roles and why so many departments are understaffed as shit. Well, yeah, because... I mean, how many departments have we seen just in the last five years go from maybe 100, maybe 60, to officers are getting pulled out of the office to go get on a med unit because people can't, because there's nobody left to run the damn med units? <laughs> I can think of three departments just offhand. Yeah. I mean, my old department, we got down to. We had one captain that was a paramedic and the damn fire chief that was a paramedic and they had to come in and run because we literally lost all of our people due to, to terrible politics. If you keep treating the lowest man on the totem pole like shit, you're not going to expire, inspire new people to join this career. You have to, I don't necessarily want to say cater to them, but you have to take care of your frontline employees 
your frontline firemen, your whatever you want to call them, if they are not... Now, granted, don't misunderstand and think, I mean, let them get away with whatever they want and not do their job and stuff like that, but because, by God, they better be out there running calls and busting ass and doing what they're supposed to be doing because that's what the job is. But if they feel valued, they will want to continue to come to work. And that will inspire them to tell others and inspire others down the line to do this career and to come to work. They won't be leaving in droves to go do something else, which is what we're experiencing now. I mean, and you're, why one, you're one left. of them. Y'all, absolutely. I mean, I got run on and run on by to the point that I got out and I'm out. Now, I'm taking all that experience that I gained through the EMS agencies I worked for, the fire agencies I worked for, and all the things that I did before that and have brought it home into the career that I'm doing now. And I absolutely love it because it's truly a homecoming for me because the last 15 years of my career's experience is all being drummed into one and I'm taking advantage of it and I'm valued for it. It's why I like where I like. It's why I like working where I do so much because from day one, every aspect of my experience in previous job history has been accounted for and valued. And I was made aware of that. So what is uh, now being in your new career... What is something, because, I mean, essentially you are, you work for a very large chemical plant worth gajillions of dollars, more than fucking Houston Fire Department is worth. (laughs) Uh, So it's a major corporation with a lot of money and a lot of lives and everything at stake. So I guess basically the best way to describe it is... your current employer is held to a lot higher um, standard in corporate America. Oh, absolutely. They uh, they 100% follow corporate America's uh, HR rules, and I absolutely love it. Um, I've never been one for, for rules and, and stickler. I mean, I grew up where I grew up, and we do what we do, but, you know... Um, <laughs> I'm at, anyway, hey, uh, it's outlaw cowboy shit around here. Everybody it, knows that it is. Hey, third alarm cowboys, baby. <laughs> um, but no, for real though, the uh, the aspects of it like that, I truly value now because I see how they handle things versus the fire departments that I came through and the EMS agencies that I came through. If half the crap that happened to me at the places that I work happened at this place. They'd be under the jail. Right. Which, that, I mean, that's what I was getting at is... The the administrations that I've worked for at some of the places that I've worked would honestly be probably put on charges of some kind. It was so bad. But having that happen to me made me value where I am now the way I do. So I... I'm not necessarily glad I had to go through all that, but I, I can find the appreciation in it. Oh, I mean, I I totally understand. But what? I mean, I think it's cool. But the the frustrating thing to me when it comes to today's fire service is they want to truly cherry pick 
that difference of oh well this is tradition versus um you can't you can't though you either have to do it the good old school way and follow the old school rules that have been outdated since about the 80s yeah which because the reality to the old school rules are what what these young folks and young listeners need to understand because you know, be through our dad and everything like that. We saw what happened in the eighties and nineties. During the nineties, I was in a fucking fire station all the time. In the eighties and nineties, when you had a disagreement, no matter the fucking rank, the badge came off. You went behind the station and you handled your fucking business. That is a absolute fact. And if you have these old chiefs that want to say that that shit didn't happen, they're it's, fucking liars. They're fucking liars, <laughs> or they got their fucking ass beat. Yeah. So the reality to it is, and where we are as a society and as a culture this is the God's honest truth is we have chiefs and administration, city administrations, everything like that, that want to completely cherry pick on where like, say you are now living and working in corporate America and a hundred percent have to abide by EEOC federal labor standards act and everything that goes along with that. But we have chiefs that want to say that they're abiding by all that stuff. But then when the when you know it goes against them a little bit, oh well, that's just tradition. That's brotherhood. It's the way it's always been. We're playing both sides of the coin on this shit. And honestly, the guys that I hate the word victim, but the dudes that end up falling victim to it are the ones that are trying to do what's right and stand up for what's right, and are end up getting kicked in the fucking nuts. Because there's no hard line of career. So you have to either abide by old school traditions and how the way it's always been. Or you have to abide by corporate America and we're going to go 100% on the legit side where everything has fucking paperwork. As I say, I don't like being labeled that either, but I completely understand what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a reality to it. Because it is. It's you, the guys it's, that get beat up because you have the administrative cliques because right. that's what they are. They're administrative cliques and they're protecting their own. You know, I, uh, so for the, you know, the listeners out there, I, I'm working at a new place. I've been there several weeks. I had a great conversation with the with the assistant chief the other day. He he pulled me aside. He asked me. I mean, he's he's known. He obviously knows about my experience, and he was he was completely upfront and honest that they hired me because of that experience. Now I'm going through through the ringers, but I have not been treated poorly by anyone. I mean, I have to do my checkoffs, and I got to do my skills tests, and I got to do all that kind of typical normal stuff, which is a hundred percent okay. Well, yeah, that's the job. I mean, it's the job, and and that's not what we're talking about. But then we end up doing a drill the other day, out in the parking lot, and I got to tell y'all, I work for a lot of fire chiefs and around a lot of fire chiefs, and when a fire chief is out there in the middle of fucking, well, it was the end of June. Middle of summer in Texas in a parking lot, and we're advancing hose lines with some folks that hadn't done some hose line training before. And the fire chief is out there in gear. I'm just going to clarify real quick because last week it was uh, 102, three days last week. Not it, on the concrete. <laughs> n- not on the concrete. Yeah. In, in Texas humidity. That's awful. It's It feels like 115 and it's not dry. Let yeah. me tell you. No, it was, it was pretty well miserable. But the chief is out there in gear, and he's getting it. Every time I pull a line, he's pulling a line. And the level of respect, and, and I'm, like I said, I've only known this, this man for a few weeks, but the level of respect that he has already demonstrated to me but demanded of him through his actions is uh, is, is honestly kind of something hard for me to swallow, to be to be perfectly blunt. it's Expand on that a little. 
it's hard to take because I've never experienced that on a broad scale. I've worked for chiefs here and there that have had that mentality and been fucking go-getters. Yeah, I know you're talking about. But to see that out of someone right out the gate, I mean, most of the time you got to work for someone for a little while to see those kind of actions. I've only been there like three weeks, and I'm seeing that boom right out the gate. This dude is out there fucking getting it. So we're sitting there, and we're doing basically a little bit of an after action after the, the drills were completed that he wanted us to do. And, uh, you know, he's looking around and he's going around and he's talking and he, and he looks at me now I'm rookie as shit there, but he looks at me and he's straight up. He's like, Heath, I know the level of experience that you come here with. You got more than, than anybody standing here for sure, including myself. And he said, uh, I'm a chief now, but I don't have the fire experience on the fire side that you do. So what is some things that as an agency, you know that we're smaller, you know that we don't have the, the staffing, the firefighter staffing like big, big city departments do. What are some drills and things that we can work on that would utilize our manpower currently um, with the dynamics of the district what is some things that we need to work on and do well and and, and let me kind of interject and stop you right there and just to kind of bridge what we've been talking about this whole time is as coming in knowing and readily setting yourself to be in that rookie mentality him approaching you like that how did that make you feel <laughs> um to be perfectly honest i called uh called my best bud uh chad and i told him that i i had a moral fucking conflict <laughs> and he was like well what do you mean and i said man you know i preach chain of command i truly believe in chain of command i do not think at any time a rookie firefighter should be in the fucking chief's office without a captain or or some rank in between whatever your department currently has uh in between those ranks i i just don't I don't agree with that. I think that sets a bad, a bad precedence. And I was like, what do you think about this? And I told him that he was like, man, that's, that's the chief seeking you out and truly valuing your experience in hopes to better the team and better the department through your knowledge to keep everybody safe, including the community. So basically everything we've been preaching for this episode <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, hot damn, look at that. <laughs> and that's what, um, <laughs> but it, and that's coming directly from a chief. And yeah. I'll expand on that conversation with him. He ended up asking me later on why, which he named the department. He knew where I worked, and he's heard a lot of horror story, horror stories about that place. But he asked me why it was so shitty. And I said, well, I was there during the time period when it wasn't shitty. It was badass. There was uh, battalion chiefs that were in that position that were technically part-time they worked full-time hours but they were technically part-time and their full-time jobs were houston fire department and you know a lot of those guys some of you may know them they're they're big on the on the training circuit for fire operations right now and everything like that and i worked for them and the the reality to the whole situation was is those guys had an operational reputation that even the fire chief at that department could not fucking argue with he couldn't combat it. He couldn't. He couldn't touch them. 
So when he would want to do some insane shit, like basically task his battalion chiefs with doing nothing but policy compliance of walking around all day, every day, writing people up, they told him to eat shit and die. And they could do that. Well, he phased out the part-timers, ended up getting rid of those guys and hiring in his own battalion chiefs that were 100% the definition of yes-men. And that was their entire job. So his leadership style was build a kingdom around himself to protect him rather than build him up. Rather than building the department up and making the department successful, it was about making himself successful. And that's what I, I ended up telling you know, this chief that I'm working for now, that that was the deal is it became a, uh, essentially a law office of where he was looking for reasons to discipline people. He was looking for reasons to, I mean, you had at that department, every inch of your life was under a camera. The only time that you didn't have a, a live stream camera looking at you in the face was when you were taking a shit. Every inch of the station was under fucking camera. Every inch of the fire truck was under camera. And it all live streamed to the battalion chief and the fire chief's phone. And I was telling, you know, the chief, my new chief that. And he was like, what in the well, fuck? And, and just to clarify, that was done under the guise of we're protecting our assets and our station. Right. Yes. He, that's how was, he sold it to the ESD board. But was, it was being used to micromanage for, and keep captains yes. down under thumb yes to to 100 control the crews is what it was made but they the esd funded that because they tried saying well we're gonna make sure that no one breaks into the stations and we're gonna make sure that there's no traffic accidents or stuff that takes place um where we, you know we can protect our assets but that is not how it was utilized because the few incidents that did occur that we needed those camera foot the camera footage it was like some joe biden shit where Oh, the cameras didn't work. Oh, oh, the, oh we were missing the laptop. We, yeah, we were missing the laptop. <laughs> we were missing the audio. You know, we just taking taking this for instance. Since we opened this fucking Pandora's box, and you know, I've been pretty pissed for the last few weeks. I know you know that, but we actually made a fire. I'm going to say we as a department. I'm not going to say what shifts were on, but we made a de a fire at that department. At a major industrial complex, battalion chiefs first on scene. The guys pulled out of the station, heavy, heavy black column smoke, less than a mile from the station. I know, heavy. Guys make scene, told by a battalion chief, go back in service. Now, there's a whole lot more to this story, but basically, what it ended up coming down to is there was a money exchange between the owner of that industrial plant and the battalion chief prior to the, the incoming pumper's arrival. And a discussion took place. It was on camera because the battalion chief's car had, had dash cameras front and point forward and backwards with, with full audio. The current policy at that time read in the department that all cameras were audio and visual recording a money exchange took place pumpers were ordered to go back in service no investigation no nothing they go back in service well later on either that day or the next shift there's money placed on the captain's desks and said that it was a, cons a citizen wanting to provide dinner to the crews 
well, I don't know what all people were taught, but in fire academy, we were 100% taught that you don't ever take money as a firefighter. You oh, never take money. No. If people want to drop off pizzas or they want to drop off cookies or brownies or whatever, you smile and you take that whatever and you you know you go about that. But as far as somebody actually truly giving you cash money, that is something that you do not fucking cross that uh, line. No, that's considered a bribe for something. Well, that was all taking place. Well, the captains did not feel comfortable and they went to the fire chief and expressed their concern about the exchange of money. And the fire chief ended up disciplined and attempted basically stacked paper on one of those captains for breaching chain of command and jumping that battalion chief's rank, breaching chain of command, going directly to the fire chief. There was disciplinary action that came down, all this, that, and the other. Well, the union, in which I was the vice president of, did an open records request, federal open records request, of the data from that camera, audio and visual, it was paid for because the fire chief said that, you know, you yes, open records request is free, but you have to pay for the labor hours to produce those. So there was a price that was named. The price was paid. That audio and visual uh, recording was produced to the union, but miraculously there was a memo that came out from the department that the cameras no longer produced audio. They were visual only. Oh, imagine that. So... We have no idea. You can see on the video clear as shit. You can see on the video there is fucking thick black smoke that is on the dash cam whenever the cars are rolling out and the apparatus is headed to the fire. You can see the owner of the plant get out of his Denali Suburban, walk up to the truck. There's a word of verbal exchange that takes place between the two and cash money is dropped. But there's nothing that ever produces. That's the problem that you have when you have all the cameras and all that kind of shit. People need to understand that when you have an individual that is in charge of having cameras over your every, every fucking inch of your life, I know that's a complete side note tangent that I just went off on, but I wanted to paint a clear example of the corruption that takes place. No, stuff like that, and, and, and I don't mean to step on you, but stuff like that has to be managed by a third-party entity. It cannot, absolutely cannot be managed by the same person thereby being the fire chief is what i mean because of that kind of bullshit right there it's just it doesn't work because so, they can cover everything up and th i mean that's what ended up happening the captains end up getting disciplined for breaching chain of command and nothing became of that battalion chief that who could have quite possibly taken a cash bribe to turn the other cheek when there was an obvious fire that went on at that industrial facility so which means they were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. Well, I mean, we know what they were doing. They were they were burning off chemicals off their shit because they did it pretty frequently there. It was a it was a maintenance burn off of chemicals. But according to the fucking uh, EPA and the uh, Texas, what is it, the TCEQ? Yeah. According to them, they can't fucking do that shit. Right. They can't. There's an air quality control on all of that shit. Right. So I'm, taking, I'm aware with my <laughs> environmental experience. So taking your current position. Uh, because there are a lot of departments out there that are moving in that direction of having body cams and having uh, all, just all that shit. This is not really something I wanted to cover, but we opened the door for this, so um, why not educate the public on it? Who covers y'all's cameras and shit in your facility? Us, specifically? At, at, yeah, at your industrial plant. A third-party security company. And they have complete control of those cameras? 
About 99%. But I mean, like, say something, an incident occurs. Oh, yeah, the, they, the, the, the on-scene, or the, the company supervisor that works on site has complete access to those records. Right, but the records are protected and covered by a third-party security company. To my knowledge, yes. So say, okay, say there was a burglary that took place, and they want to find out who did it. Say the fucking CEO of the company wants to find out who did it. How would they go about getting that information, and, and how would they make sure that it's not doctored or whatever? They would meet with the on-site company rep as well as the third-party rep. And then that footage or that uh, documentation would have to be provided. So the CEO couldn't just like go in there and get it and delete shit? No, no, not at all. It's all backed up. I mean, that's... I know this, but I'm asking. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> because, that, I mean, to me, that's a huge deal. I think that that's a huge problem. Well, because problem. It, it, it puts a redundant protection on things to keep what happened at that fire department from happening. Is that it doesn't allow one single individual access to make changes, corrupt data, delete things. It, it provides a, lo and behold a systems of balance of power. Somewhat like our constitution. Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Y'all have to understand, like, you know, part of what part of what I wanted to get in on the show is, is of course Blake's experience and some of the things that he dealt with in his fire service career prior to going, you know, industrial and everything. And I just I, I sat back and I'm not going to say I sat back and just watched because I was highly active and giving him advice and everything because a lot of the things that he went through in his career, I know for a fact would not fly. Even some of the shitholes that I worked at, they would still not allow the level of things that happened to him to take place. And I was working at reputable city departments. A, well, I was going to say, so, you know, for clarification, you worked at a um, mid to large size city in Texas that was a civil service department with a high call volume and a very large operational budget. It's not like you were working in bumfuck Egypt nowhere. Right. I mean, you they're pretty well known. They're, they're a pretty well known city, a, a pretty large city. Right. Um, but sometimes, I mean, it doesn't matter. It can be anywhere. You know, a lot of a lot of the complaint is 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 some of these issues that I talk about is in your smaller ESD style. You know, previously volunteer departments. That's yeah, personally the startups, where, right? Yeah, that's personally you know where I went through. But you went through to a department that's been a paid career city department for well over a hundred years, and still dealt with the same issues. Right. So guys need to understand is it's not just the startup departments. It's not just this shit, this level of corruption, the level of high turnover rate, all these things that we're talking about on the show that we're trying to improve and fix and make better for the next generation can truly happen anywhere. And what people are going to have to fucking swallow that pill. It doesn't matter what your badge says. It doesn't matter what patch you have or how long they're been. You are susceptible to shitbags infiltrating your ranks no matter where you work. And the more you become aware of that and the more that you become willing to stand up for what's right and stand up for your fellow firefighters to the left and to the right of you, the better off you are on protecting your department from allowing that shit to take place. Sometimes it's a slow process. 
the department that Blake worked for, this shit's been building over the last 20 years. It hadn't always been a shithole. It used to be, when I first graduated fire company, that was the place to go. But that Not was, anymore. <laughs> but that was 15 years ago. And right. over, over 15 years, you allow for, for shittier and shittier people to advance through the ranks. They end up getting up to the, to the top spots to be able to make decisions. And they don't have good moral character to be able to make proper decisions to protect those people because they don't care about the people. They're out for themselves. They care about their numbers, their pension, their resume. Right. And and that's a hard pill for some people to really and truly swallow. It, it really is. But do y'all think on the, you know, July 4th, 1776, that wasn't a hard pill to swallow whenever people started signing their names to sh- some shit that truly meant death? Yeah. As I say, you, you if you really think about it, you got to remember that was a 100% death sentence. Every name on that document knew knew with a, beyond a shadow of a doubt they were signing their own death warrant. And we got guys that can't even stand up and say, hey, hey you're a fuckstick. <laughs> well, not just that, but you got, I mean, we have guys that can't even say like, hey, why are you why are you talking to that person like that? Yeah. Or in your instance, why are you doing that to a guy? That's a grown man. Why would you do that? Right. And it's simple shit. It's words. Right. I know y'all heard me preach about that before. It's words, guys. Saying no is words. It's two fucking letters. And it's a whole lot more powerful than people realize. It is. It truly is. So, well, guys, that's the show. Um, I hope y'all uh, enjoyed hearing a, a little bit of information from Blake. I, it's cool having, being able to have him on and, and just being able to watch over the last few years of as, because I know how low he ended up getting, which we're going to get in. We'll I'm going to have him on another show and we'll truly dig into what it means whenever you go through a hard ass process, legal process and everything and, and what emotional tolls it truly can take. Cause I know there's people out there that have gone through it. And, and, and I'm going to just add this little tidbit. Um, you know, he talks about in the show, um, when it comes to standing up and doing right, that sometimes it'll go in your favor. Sometimes it won't, but doing the right thing is still doing the right thing. And sometimes it absolutely sucks. But in the end of the day, it's worth it to stand up for your brother and sister next to you to earn the target on your back and do the right thing for the next guy in line. Do you feel like diving into that before we end the show of what you truly got to witness on? No, I I think we'll leave that for another one. Uh, Cause I mean, that's, that's a, that's a very deep dive. And that's going to take your listeners to real to, to the ones that'll listen and the ones that'll feel it. It's going to take them to a deep, dark place. Well, because I, I know mean, because I know I was there. Well, I know I'm just meaning what it you going through what you went through, what it even did for one person. Was it worth it? Oh, a hundred percent for for the one. So, and I, I'll say and I and I'll keep it short because we're trying to wrap it up, but. I went through what I went through for years. It was very, it was a very rough go at it. But at the end of the day, I made for with, without a shadow of a doubt, I know for a fact, having keeping tabs on how things went in that department, I made life better for one person. And that one person, that one win was worth my years 
of suffering. And I, if, if you ask me if I'd do it again, just to make it better for that one guy, I'd do it again. Or there you go. Just remember folks, it's not, I mean, nothing about this shit is easy. Nothing about putting on your gear and dragging that heavy ass hose is easy. Nothing about making them two, three o'clock in the morning med calls that you've already been to those houses 14,000 fucking times. That shit's not easy being up 24, 48 hours and then having to go home and the wife and kids have got you having a full schedule of running and gunning and taking kids to softball or dance or any of the other shit, that shit's not easy. Nothing about this career that you signed up for is easy. It takes a special breed to do this job. It does. And we're we're all the same, but we're all different because we all come from different walks of life, but we're the same in the sense that we're willing to truly take it on the chin and roll. And it doesn't matter. That's, I mean, that's just completely part of the lifestyle. That's completely part of the career. And the quicker that people realize that it's never going to, you're never going to flip a switch. Like, you know, I talked about earlier in the show, I've made Captain three fucking times. It never got fucking easy. And now I'm back to starting all over again. And it is all, it's not because I was a shitbag. It's not because I sucked at my job and I fucking got fired because I made bad tactical decisions. It is nothing to do with that. It is truly because I made ethical decisions on what was right and what was wrong. And I stuck by it. And that's okay. You have to be able to do that in order to make a significant difference in the career that you want to live, in the people around you's lives, in, in your your family's lives and the guys that ride with you on the truck, if you want to truly protect those people, you have to leave that shit hanging all out. And to this day, I can still witness anytime we go somewhere or hang out with your old crewmates or spend time with anybody you've ever worked with, every one of them would have your back in a, in a gunfight tomorrow <laughs> because they took the lessons that you taught them and rolled with them and carried them into their new professions, their new departments, their new careers. Because some of them left, some of them stayed to be firemen. And I can't think of a single one that wasn't trained under you that hasn't excelled because you do know the job, but you passed along your moral compass as well. Yeah, fortunately, most of them that did go to other departments went to departments that aligned with those morals. Mm -hmm. And they have. They flourished. I mean, I, I, I look on Facebook and I see guys that have worked for me getting promoted here and getting promoted there, and it just makes me proud as shit. No, my timeline was not perfect i didn't land the perfect dream department with the perfect dream chiefs that that loved everything that i had to say and the things that i lived for but crew members that were produced by working for me have gone on to do that and their their careers have flourished and that makes me proud yeah as it should it absolutely makes me proud just like and you know i kind of attribute that to what's going on in the country right now there's you know, our founding fathers would be extremely proud of the good things that we have done with this country by the the risk that they took and by putting their names on the Declaration of Independence and let it all fucking hang out. Mm -hmm. I mean, what people need to truly understand, England would have fucking killed them. They would have killed their fucking family. They would have burned their house to the fucking ground, gave their farm away to somebody. I mean, they would have lost everything. Their entire lineage, their entire namesake. If they had sons, they would have either enlisted them into the damn English army, the British army, or they would have fucking killed them. And most of you are scared to death about losing your fucking boat. <laughs> I mean, we that is how far we have digressed as 
men, but I, I'm so hard on the fire service because it's my community, and I want people to understand that I truly believe that firefighters are the bravest, most badass individuals in this country. I was fixed to say this this career and this society, this community was literally built on being the bravest and most courageous there is. We sign up to run into burning buildings, deal with car wrecks, climb into the biggest mangled messes on the planet, and we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't want to do anything else. And we eat that shit for 20, 30 years. You know, I, not taking anything away from the military, but they do a deployment and then they get to come home and they decompressed from that deployment mindset into a training regiment or, you know, back to a, a normal job within the military regiment. We stay deployed all the fucking time. For 20, 30 years. For 20 or 30 years, legitimately. And I'm going to get more into that because I have some uh, some some series that I want to run coming up when it comes to mental health and stuff like that with some guests that um, I believe can really shed a light on, on what we're doing to our fellow firefighters mentally and physically. But we'll get into all that. Well, you got any closing statements? Man, I, I appreciate you having me on the show. I know it's it's been a long time coming. We've kicked it around for quite a while. Uh, I'm kind of glad and starting to open up to share my story a little bit better. It was <laughs> a rough go at it, and uh, I hope I hope all your listeners can – that you guys can take some value away and and find a way to interpret it into your own lives and and build up those around you because it, it means a whole lot more than any of y'all probably realize. So I, I hope y'all take that away and uh, continue listening to the show and uh, help us build this movement and, and get it going. Cool. Well, guys, you know, keep keep sending me your messages. I know that. Uh... I haven't been on, on social media the last couple of weeks and I apologize for that, but I hope you all understand sometimes you just got to, got to unplug and take a little bit of a break. I really, truly do take a lot of things to heart and I carry a lot of weight that people don't necessarily understand. Truthfully, probably Blake and my wife are, are really the only people on the planet that either know me well enough to see when I'm carrying the shit or have to, uh, endure my frustrations whenever i'm <laughs> lashing out um because i'm i'm fucking pissed and that's not just at my own stuff it I, I mean i get pissed some of your messages that you send me and i'm like fuck man if i could drive to fucking west virginia right now i'd choke this motherfucker uh and i want y'all to know like that's how i feel when when y'all send me these stories about things that are happening in your departments that shit gets me fired up and I want to come. Like, if I had, if I was a billionaire, I'd be driving around to all y'all's departments right now. I'd probably never run another med call in my life. I'd be driving around to y'all's departments fighting the fucking fight for y'all because I, it means that much to me. And I take it so much to fucking heart. Your words of encouragement, those of you that have sent me messages saying, you know, that, that I've made a difference in your career or I've opened your eyes to certain things, that that is amazing. That's what I wanted to do with this. Uh, in, entire platform and podcast and everything was just to give a little bit of education on what's really going on, things that guys are really going through, because I don't think that many people really talk about it. Either they don't want to deal with the backlash from it, or they are in a you know a financial position where they can't do anything because, let's face it, everybody has way too much fucking shit financed right now, and they can't 
they can't afford to lose their job or their part-time job or any of those different aspects people are having to deal with. And so I want to fight all those fights for y'all. I've always been one of those guys that when all my buddies were making a fire, no matter where they were at, I wanted to make every fucking fire that was going on in Texas. Well, now with this podcast and and the social media movement and everything, man, I want to fight every fucking fight that y'all have going on right now. There's so many of y'all. I would love to be able to come and sit in those ESD board meetings and just be like, hey, this is how the fire service really fucking works. This fire chief is full of fucking shit, or this is full of fucking shit, whatever. All the different circumstances, I want y'all to know, like, I truly wish I could be in the room and say the shit that needs to be said. Because it's not complicated. People just people just won't get out of their own way. And there's so much selfishness and corruption that's going on that it really just takes somebody calling the shit out. For those of you that have been standing up and, and stepping into that fold... Man, kudos to y'all. Um, I know several listeners that have said that learning from different things from the show, they've stepped up and they've said certain things to their officers that weren't. it wasn't necessarily uh, an easy conversation. They've stepped up and said things to their community or to their ESD board, and that was you know able to make a difference. I want y'all to know that is truly what it's going to take, and y'all are doing absolutely this generation's July 4th fucking signature. That's what y'all need to understand. We don't have a damn king that we have to write a fucking letter to, but what we do have is these fire chiefs that are operating their little fire departments like a fucking kingdom, and all you got to do is look at them the same way that we do the king of England and tell him to suck one because this is not how Americans fucking operate. Be proud to be an American. Be proud to be a fucking firefighter. This job is not something that everybody can do. If you're doing it, you are a fucking badass, and you need to know that shit. So, guys, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Definitely go and follow us on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts. That is the best way in order to be able to you know, continue to build. It puts us in the algorithms and all that technological shit that Blake knows about that um, helps us be able to, to advance this podcast and, and reach more listeners. Yeah, because we're, we're trying to spread it out, guys. We're trying to uh, get the message out a little bit wider to let us grow. And the more we grow, the more we can help y'all. That's what this movement's about. And the... I mean, we're not in it to to retire billionaires on some yacht somewhere. We're we're in this to help the little guy and to try and make this community as a whole be better and grow together and get back to the the family that it's meant to be. Absolutely. Well, Blake, thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. I know know it was kind of... You, you're not a very social one. I, I've always been the outgoing, and most of the time I'm the face and the voice for the shit we have going on, and Blake's normally behind the scenes, so he he's a little nervous about getting on the mic and, and getting out here and, and talking about hard shit. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and being willing to do that shit. <laughs> I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, so that's all we got for you guys. Um, y'all have a happy 4th of July. Be safe. Don't do dumb shit. You know that any kind of dumb shit that you do as a firefighter, the first fucking thing the paper is going to write or the news media is going to write is firefighter arrested for being a dumbass. So damn sure don't go and do that because you make us all look bad. Go have fun. Love on your families. Enjoy your kids. If you're around some water, I hope so because fuck, it's hot in Texas right now. And we'll see y'all on the next one. Don't stress.
me try to lose my way Well, I won't stumble Put you right back in your place Just like a 